What is going on, everybody? It's me, your host, Nicholas Willard, and you're listening to Almost Canon. So, Chad is not here tonight. It's just me for the next, I don't know, five or ten minutes, and then we're going to kick it off with a guest to talk about some, some, pretty, weird, uh, some pretty weird shit. I'll just leave it at that. But before we get into tonight's episode, if you have experienced the paranormal or the unknown, then we want to hear your story. It doesn't matter whether you are hiking, camping, fishing, exploring, you know, some sort of backwoods dirt road or abandoned building. It doesn't matter. If you have experienced the paranormal, we want to hear about it. And you can send your story to Almost Canon pod at gmail.com you can also hit us up via our facebook page at almost canon podcast you can try us through our instagram at almost canon pod also don't forget to leave a rating and a review you know we are slowly growing as a show and a community however i know there are listeners out there who are not leaving ratings and reviews Now, I just want to say it is incredibly important to leave these ratings and reviews because they help the show grow the most. You know, um, I hate bringing this up. I really, really do. And I I think I've gone a couple episodes without talking about it. Uh, So I figured when is a better time than now to bring it up again? Please, if you are listening to this, leave a rating and review. It truly is a huge help for the show. All right. Now. Like I said, Chad is not here tonight. It is just me and our guest. And uh, before we we kick things off tonight, I just want to say I just got in my shower to spray off some some cleaner that I that I had put on a little while ago, uh, fully clothed. And I just want to say that it felt extremely weird to do that. You know, I I, I figured I'd just point that out. <laughs> you know, it's a little weird, yeah, but you know. How many people take a shower with their clothes on, right? All right. Now that that's out of the way, forgive my OCD and ADD-riddled mind. I had to get that off my chest before we started. But now that that's out of the way, let's kick off tonight's show. There's something special about a mystery that goes down in the remote wilds of this world, be it the far north where temperatures regularly reach negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, or in the high mountains where people can literally disappear into thin air, or in the dense jungles where the vegetation is still hiding vast ancient cities, or let's say the vast emptiness of the deserts where shifting sands continuously bury treasures from our distant past. And of course... We can't forget about the deep oceans, where more is known about space than what is down below. When something strange goes down in one of these places, there's a really good chance we'll never know what happens. And in some cases, we'll never even know something was wrong in the first place. So, 
in honor of True Detectives Night Country, I don't know how many of you have been watching that, I felt talking about the very true events that inspired the show would be fun. And when talking about these mysteries involving climbing mountains and bitterly cold environments, I figured there's no one better to talk to than Tom Pollard. This man's summoned at Everest, practically lived in the death zone, explored his way across Alaska, and even sailed a reed ship from Bolivia to Easter Island. Now, check out episode 40 for that full story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy these extremely strange expedition mishaps. All right. So, I don't know. If anyone has been following this show, True Detective Night Country, but I've been watching it, and I read that the director slash writer was inspired by the Dyatlov Pass mystery. Um, and I know it's something that, if you're into the weird, the weird stuff, you know, all this paranormal and high strangeness, Dyatlov Pass is definitely something you, you've read about and you know about. It. It's like... It's up there with the Bermuda Triangle, I think. Um, and I thought the best person to bring on to talk about this would be Tom, because you are a you're an explorer for one. You know, you've been to these these crazy places, Mount Everest, you know, the death zone. You you I feel like you're you're just the best person to talk to about this. Like you you've been there, I feel like, you know. So I figured we would go over these. The Dialov Pass, and there's another one that's less known, um, and we'll, we'll cover that one last. But let, let's start with this Dialov Pass first. It's basically nine hikers. They're attending the the Euro Polytechnic Institute at the time. I believe this is 1959, and they're 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 shooting for their class three, um, I guess hiker certificate. Is this something you've heard of? Yeah, they were well for whatever it's worth, I think they were hoping to gain some certificate and go up a grade for whatever it is they wanted to be certified for, but it was certainly not a group of inexperienced people. They all had been yes, you know, they all had experience in the outdoors. So it wasn't if you will a bunch of rookies. They were they kind of knew what they were doing and given the conditions, let's hope so because it sounded like the weather was horrible. Right. Yeah. So I got that they were all uh, grade two certified and they were shooting for their third, uh, the grade three. And they had to complete a 300 kilometer trip, which is about 190 miles. And I kind of got I was kind of confused about the exact layout of their their trip. But I believe it started in. Let's see here. Um Ivedel, which is a city at the uh, center of the northern province of, oh, sort of, it's going to take me a minute to say this. The biggest mystery is how to pronounce this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sverdlok Oblast. That is not how it's pronounced, but that's my best try. Uh -huh. uh, and they kicked it off on January 25th, but... It didn't seem like they really got going until the 27th when they when they set off 
from this this little settlement in the north, way up north. I believe it. Everything I read said it was the 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 most northern settlement that you know was occupied, and it was called Vizhe. And from there, that's where they started their hike. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it sounded like it was really cold, and they encountered some serious conditions really quickly. Yeah, one hiker got sick. I, I guess he was kind of sickly to begin with. He had um. I think some sort of heart disease and he got sick right around the first or second day and he had to head back. Um, oh, that's, uh, his name so, was Yuri Yudin. Hold on. Did that guy live? Yeah. He ended up living. Oh, <laughs> the greatest heart disease known to man getting right. out of that trip. <laughs> yeah. He ended up living uh, there. there. You can watch um, interviews with him about it, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so there were nine other ones. Igor Dyatlov. I'm going to try to name them all. Igor Dyatlov, Yuri Doroshenko, Ludmila Dubiana, Giorgio Krichnovikovo, Alexander Kolovov. Um, <laughs> I should not have even tried this. They're going to come back from their graves and find I you. I know. For I'm just okay. I'm just gonna pick it up. I'm gonna start over. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there were nine of them. Igor Dyatlov. He's he's the most important one. You know, they named the pass after him and and all that. He's the leader of of the bunch, and everything's kind of going pretty good as you you know you'd expect it. They're they're shooting for their their class three. Everything's going good. They're skiing. They're pulling you know little sledges, and they're about eighty miles into the middle of the Ural Mountain Range. Um on the eastern edge of this mountain most people know it as you know dead mountain the local uh indigenous tribe they're known as the mansi they call it the the lack of game mountain which is where people get the dead mountain from and it, it's called kolas Saikalal. and a lot of people get the otorin mountain which is where they were trying to get to confused with this other mountain i i noticed that through my reading um, but yeah, so the real mystery starts when they're on this mountain, they're kind of camping out in the open. And this is, this is where I really wanted to get your opinion. So they're out in the mm -hmm. open on this slope on this mountainside, right? It's wide open. And they had just come from the forest, which is down below. It's not too far. I think most people believe they're camping in the open because they had to, you know, achieve a certain amount of days, um, kind of like camping in, in these these super harsh environments. Mm. But, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to me. I, I guess that that would be why they were, you know, camped out where they where they were. But where they were, you know, like I said, it was out in the middle of, of the open. The, the wind is whipping. Um, it's snowing. It's I didn't I didn't get a, a temperature read, but, it, you know, it's, it's below zero. And something ends up happening. Nobody knows. This is the big mystery. Something ends up happening. These hikers apparently cut the tent from the inside. They they all run out. They don't grab any gear. They run out, you know, into the woods, down the mountainside, into the woods. And they all end up dying mysteriously with all these mysterious wounds. Um, and that, that's kind of the big mystery. You know, how did they die? Why did they they just run out into the woods? Um you know, like I said, everybody knows all of this. This is, this is, um, you know, I'm not saying anything new, anything that, you know, people don't know about, 
So what did you think about this whole thing? It's a terrifying story because, first of all, just the idea of having to set up camp when it's, I, I think what I had seen and read, it was 30 below zero Celsius, which is 20 something below Fahrenheit. That's cold, yep. really windy, super windy, super snowy. I mean, that is just harsh. I I, I can't even imagine one thing pleasant about that. And these, I think in some respects, they were probably already near survival mode when they, from what I've heard also digging a, a tent platform. So they were digging down into the snow mm -hmm. that could put their tent up. And so right. we're talking 1959. So nowadays you can get these relatively bomb-proof tents that can withstand incredible wind speeds and because of the way the the aluminum poles bend and you know, several different poles crossing over each other it creates some strength if snow is falling on it this tent must have once they set it up and they crawled in they were probably they from what i imagine and i think a lot of these people when they were found frozen to death they had no boots on and mm -hmm. they weren't wearing a lot of clothes so they were probably in their tent cuddled in you now nine people in the same tent or um, i think it, they were nine i don't know if that one guy who left made it eight but there was nine guys in the tent people he would have been the tent yeah okay so they're warm they're essentially kind of warming up and they're on a downhill slope near the summit of this round topped mountain no trees to break the wind or anything and the snow is coming down and i can just imagine the snow slowly pushing down onto their tent and really freaking them out and so i've read about these i've never really experienced one but they're called catabatic winds and what they okay. do is this wind comes falling down yep. a mountain and it has this downward pressure just underneath it so these people are in the tent if there was a catabatic wind coming down the slope it would do two things one it would start to build up snow uphill from the tent because that would create some disturbance but it would also push and flatten the tent down so they very possibly were getting crushed in there and and covered by snow and then what might have happened from what I had heard also, and when I say what I've heard, it's just because curiosity reading and, and the internet and watching videos and reports and articles, but there's possibility that there was what's called a slab avalanche. Yep. So their snow, their tent might've been down, so let's say four feet into the surface of the snow, but the top two feet might've slipped off and slid down covering the tent. And it might have been at that time that they felt like they had to crawl and escape, right? Because didn't they cut their way out of the tent and yeah. crawl up there? Some of, I don't know if they were barefoot when they did that, but whatever happened, they had to get the hell out of there. Right. This is actually making a lot of sense. I've never, I've never really took much stock in the the avalanche theory. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask you about the, these catab 
Symbolic Winds and the Slab Avalanche. So that's inter- interesting that you brought that up. Um, mm. but it's actually making a lot of sense. Like, what if this wind piling the snow up against, you know, I, we'll, we'll call it the backside of the tent, and it could have, like, you know, maybe covered the sides. They couldn't get out the mm-hmm. doorway, you know, so they had to cut their way out. If it's being crushed from the back forward, there's really only one way you can go. Yeah. Yeah, and think about it. If there's if there's all those people cramped, the tent, I've seen pictures of it. The tent's not that big. Mm. These people are all crammed in there together. So there's somebody who's the closest to the out edge of the tent where the snow starts to pile up and they're getting pushed in. <laughs> there's less and less room in the tent and they're probably freaking out now. So now it's pitch black out. Think about these brutal winters so cold and if this avalanche did happen then that might explain why they left their tent so quickly because you'd want to put your boots on if you if you thought oh boy we have a half an hour and we better get it out of here and you've you know then you put your boots on but if you have zero seconds to get out and it's this horrific avalanche or you know who knows what crept up upon them to make them so freaked out that they had to run, but the, they all just got out and ran downhill. I think what are the different types of trauma that the people had? Because I think some just plain and simple froze to death. And there were some who had intense trauma, like crushed lungs and yeah. a cracked skull and things like that. Yeah. So they're, they, there's kind of three groups of bodies that they found. So there was, there were two who were, they, they had the most clothes on and they were kind of down at tree level and they had actually started a fire. Um, and they had climbed up the tree about 15 feet and their hands mm. you know, were all cut up from climbing and they busted some branches up and they started a fire, but they ended up, you know, they froze to death in the, you know, around that fire. And, and it, they were so cold that their feet were actually in the fire and they had burned their feet up. Um, wow. And then there was another group, you know, and I had wrote all this down, but I'm not, I'm probably not going to bust out their names and stuff. There's another yeah. group of three who were found in a line kind of heading back up towards the, the where the tent was. Um, oh. And they were, they were relatively close together. There wasn't a whole lot of, um, um, let's see, Dyatlov was found with this group um, buried under the snow, and he had a fractured skull. The other two that were in this 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 kind of line, they they were they just kind of froze to death. But Dyatlov had a fractured skull, and oh, they didn't find the others. I believe there were four others. They didn't find them until about two months later, and they were two hundred feet from the campfire, under twelve feet of snow, and kind of like in a frozen brook. And the, these oh. were the ones who had the worst injuries. They were, let's see, all suffered major trauma to their torsos. I believe they matched it to um, being hit by a car going 30 miles an hour is what I read. So that wow. that's pretty serious. Um, yeah. And some of them were missing eyes and their tongues. But, I, I, you know, you could, that could be just animals, you know. Yeah, because they, they, they didn't get found till a lot longer after the accident happened. Right. So yeah, some it was like springtime. 
It's gross. <laughs> but gross. yeah, they definitely had some weird injuries, and I, I guess there's there's even rate there was radiation on the bodies. Um, mm. and I had watched something where they where they 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 took core samples out of trees, but they they didn't pick up any radiation within the tree. Mm. I was gonna say the the theories for last, but since we got right into the avalanche, there's a couple other theories that I just want to throw out there. And one was that they were killed by the Soviet military, um, some sort of secret mission. I guess I guess one of the group members, I forget which one it was, was actually fought in World War II, and he was part of some some. Um, I don't want to say he was part of like the KGB, but he was he was in some sort of of uh. He was like some kind of secret agent, you know, and, and the thought is that he was trying to to, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, pass along some sort of note or something because they worked at at that the Polytechnic Institute. They they did a lot to do with nuclear um, study like and testing secrets. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, look at they're they're sinister that that whole government, those covert operations. Right. I would I wouldn't put that past him. And when they collected their cameras and they, they ended up developing the film, the last picture that they had taken was of the super bright light in the sky. So a lot of people think that maybe it was a UFO or or even oh. some sort of weapons test, you know, like they the, the military had launched some sort of missile. And it had kind of blown up around the Dyatlov group, and that's what scared them, and that's why their, their bodies were injured. But I don't. I don't doubt things like that. You never know. That's, I, I mean, things like that might happen in the United States, but in the Soviet Union where, I mean, in 1959, there was still some really sinister things going on. Right. You know, it was a trouble. To, I mean, there still is now. I mean, look at the way they just invade other countries and things like that. Right. I'm not trying to make this a political one, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, definitely. Even today, I mean, they, they kill off, you know they try to kill off political uh rivals and didn't they just uh i'm trying to pull this off the top of my head like i have i have no idea what the names are but i know one someone was just drugged on an airplane you know oh yeah a couple years ago yeah so stuff stuff's still going on and when you're when you're hundreds of of miles in the middle of nowhere you know it's the perfect place to start testing some some weapons oh yeah absolutely yes right you never know and if there's a threat they don't care right you know so i i don't i don't doubt that as a possibility i mean i think you can make some rational deductions from what happened but gosh yeah. you never know and i mean our next the, the next case i have i think is it's pretty cut and dry that that the the military was involved however with the diatlov pass um it is it's super mysterious and they're you know they're the bodies have injuries that we can't explain um mm. but i really i'm really going towards this avalanche theory mm. yeah i i i tend to think that that's got to be what it is like but the conditions that night must have been terrifying Right. And they don't have great equipment. 1959, I mean, we're probably talking a canvas tent and the sleeping bags couldn't have been that good. 
And so had the had it just been cold and not windy and not snowing, they probably would have been fine. But all the precipitation, all that snow coming down, the harsh winds, and they're in a stressed state. And then just, it didn't even have to be that big of an avalanche, but it probably could have been. Right. And freaked them out. And they, maybe there was some, sometimes a, a big avalanche is preceded by smaller ones, little, you know, just some surface snow, maybe only a few inches. And maybe it was rushing over the tent. And because think about it, like the snow's falling and it keeps it wants to go downhill and with mm. the wind. So probably for, who knows, maybe for hours, they feel, you know, a, kind of a, imagine the snow falling off of your roof in the winter time or the garage or something going over your tent. That's going to say they, they might've been at the point like, wow, we don't have any time. We have to get out of here because the big one is about to come. Right. Cause I think they found footprints below the tent before people died so i don't know how they piece that together but yeah the avalanche thing seems somewhat explainable to me and then the the bodies that were crushed one of the gruesome things that i read but kind of cool too was that they feel like maybe those few I think four people were way down, like near the stream, buried yeah. under four feet of snow or something, or four meters of snow. Yeah, it was like 12 feet of snow. Wow. So they they probably went, they probably got caught in the full force of an avalanche. And then they're there for weeks and weeks. And the snow just turns to ice and it presses right. down presses down so maybe it was slowly crushing them yeah i mean that disgusting. makes a lot of sense yeah so one thing I, sorry i keep interrupting yeah. you no not at all uh one thing I, I definitely wanted to ask you was so what's it like to camp let's say uh camp four on everest mm. It's got to be I, now. I know uh, this mountain that that the the Alov groups on. It's it's obviously not. I I didn't get how high it was, but I the I got a slope degree of twenty five degrees, which I mean isn't. Mm -hmm. I think this is the what goes against the avalanche theory the most is it was only twenty five degree slope. It's it's not mm -hmm. that steep, right? Um, however, you you were talking about how they they had to dig out. Uh, you know, kind of like a, a trench to put their their tent on, and that could have caused kind of an you know a localized avalanche, this slab avalanche. Um, mm -hmm. But and you, we were also talking about these heavy winds, and I know I've seen videos on Everest where the tents they they look like they're just going to blow away with people inside mm -hmm. of them. What, oh what, yeah, what is that like? It's got to be uh, insane. Oh, it's. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. So you're right about the avalanche. Um, I think the, the the perfect scenario for an avalanche is somewhere between 30 and 45 degrees. So if, but the, there could be conditions where something of 25 degree angle, you know, it's it was in February. So it'd probably been snowing on and off for a couple of months. And you just never know, maybe because of the volume of the snow, 
it still might have happened, you know. But but that said, when you're setting up a camp, the, the in out at altitude is one thing, but just in really bad weather is it's kind of terrifying. On on Denali in long, long time ago, I was on Denali guiding a trip with by the time we got to our high camp at 16,000 feet, there was, we only had one client. So it was me, the head guide and this one other guy. And we just got slammed by a storm. So we, we were hanging out in our tent. It was very steep. It was kind of on this shoulder and a ridge. And, you know, you don't want to trip there because you'd fall a thousand feet, but our tent started tearing apart. And the winds were so high, 80, 90, 100 mile an hour winds. And the tent, you could just see it ripping. Like, Ooh. oh shit, we're in big trouble now. So we dug a snow cave and got, we had to get into the snow cave to survive this primarily wind storm. There wasn't really a lot of snow. The snow was being blown up from the surface, but it was it was a real deal because everything took so much effort. It was cold just to boil water. So we had hot water in, in the snow cave was so important, but it took, it just, everything took so much longer just to move and put your boot back on or to mm. keep your hands warm. So it's very, very stressful because all your efforts are being put by just the bare minimum of survival just to keep alive right so i can imagine these people and and when we were trying to dig this snow cave it was still light out i think we're in alaska on denali in may and it doesn't really get dark it never got dark it, it stays light even when the sun goes down it barely gets dark so we had light i can't even imagine how these people must have felt in the pitch black darkness the confusion look at where's my boot or where's my gloves oh that I, I, another thing i should add is they didn't have the stove going that night you know they had to like i said they had to to meet certain re requirements um and one of them was to kind of rough it as as, as hard as they could go you know for a certain number of oh. nights so they, they that they didn't have the the stove going no heat they were kind of just like like you said, all huddled together for warmth. Um, so yeah, they must have been oh. really cold just from the start. Brutal. Yeah. Like this is when it's just like one of those things, like there's gotta be a time where you just have to say it's time to pull the plug, <laughs> like screw the credit. We've got to survive now. And they just, maybe they waited too long. All right. I think we got this. And then what, you know, the avalanche or who knows the, Russian military comes in and who, I, whatever it is, they just waited too long before they made their decision. Right. The, terrifying. Yeah. I mean, and they, they definitely paid the ultimate price. Absolutely. I know. And the guy who got sick at the beginning of the trip, that <laughs> must've been a heavy thing to live with. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can listen to him talk about it and it, he definitely, Definitely was. Oh, gosh. Um, there were just a couple things I wanted to bring up before we move on. And that is, like I said, there was radiation on their clothing. Um, the last picture that was developed was of a, a bright light in the sky. 
in that there were mm. several hikers around 100 kilometers away who also reported seeing weird lights in the sky that night. And recently, wow. documents have come to light stating that the Soviet Union, like the government, they knew that uh, the Dyatlov group was dead as early as February 6th instead of the 26th. So this was 20 days sooner than that, you know, they had originally gone out. So wow. they knew something, you know, two weeks before, over two weeks before uh, uh, they even, you know, rode out there. They just let all that time they were up there. Yeah, pretty much. Mm, that's pretty weird. Yeah, and the the government they they reopened the case in 2019, said that they died of an avalanche, and that was it. These documents came up after after that whole thing, and they're not they won't reopen it again. Wow, gosh, yeah, they'll close it. Yep, that means that must mean it was the the Russian military. I, yeah, <laughs> I, it really. I I didn't I didn't really look into the whole. Um, army connection between the atlov and and I, I think there might have even been another one but apparently they he worked for the army in some capacity so wow and they Crazy. even read something that they might have found some chinese gear like they were missing some gear and it was replaced with chinese gear i don't i don't know i don't know what to make of that so i didn't really add it in there but uh Crazy, scary stuff. Worth looking into and continuing the search. I, now that we're talking about this, I've got about five or six more articles pulled up, all with different theories. So I'll have to, yeah. we'll have to revisit this. Maybe we'll go camp there sometime. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> nah, no, I'm all right. <laughs> Ditto. No, I don't. I don't really feel like going either. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been getting into. The the uh I don't know if you ever heard of the Bennington Triangle or Gladstonebury Mountain here in, in southern Vermont. Um in mm -hmm. Bennington, there's a lot of weird stuff going on, and I'm debating whether I want to go out there some night and you know, kind of oh <laughs> you yes, you should. I've yes, got some should. some Bigfoot reports. The people who told me them, they're like it they, they don't believe in Bigfoot. They're like, I don't know what it was. It's definitely not Bigfoot, but there definitely sounds like something going on. And I kind of want to go out there and check it out. Oh yeah, you should. There's people disappear up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I'm nervous to go. You don't have to go to Russia to disappear. You can do it in Vermont. Right. <laughs> so um, so yeah, this second case I wanted to bring up, which is definitely more, I think, I think um the consensus is uh pretty cut and dry of, of what happened but it's the comma de ban mountains mm -hmm. and yeah. unlike the diatlov past group or incident um well i guess like that incident everybody died um except one person who was actually there made it out alive uh and kind of you know to tell the tale and it's definitely a very strange um story that she tells Yes, this is a freaky one. Oh, These yeah, people definitely. lost their minds, banging their heads against rocks and things. Right, yeah. So the the mountain, the uh, the Kamadaban Mountains, they're they're part of the the South Siberia system. 
uh, highest peak. I, I took way more notes on this than I did the other one. Highest <laughs> peak is about almost 8,000 feet. Uh, the mountain range is about 260 miles long. Um, and it's kind of down near the, the northern Mongolian border. I found this interesting just because Lake Baikal is, is a pretty cool spot, you know. So the, the mountain that we're, this mountain range that we're talking about kind of goes around Lake Baikal, which is the largest lake by volume uh, in the world. And it holds 22 percent of the world's fresh water, which is what? Yeah, I know. Right. That's crazy. Uh, it's about five thousand three hundred and eighty seven feet deep. And it's the oldest lake in the world at 300 million years. Wow. Now, I kind of picked this one up from the night before everything went down. Um, so it was a group led by 41-year-old Master of Sports, is her title, uh, Ludmila Korovina. And she was kind of taking a team of her best students on a survival training exercise up the mountains. So she was like a... Uh, a survivalist and she she trained younger climbers like younger hikers so though the people involved in this group they're they're fairly young um we got 23 year old alexander sasha chrysan there were teamer i'm not gonna go over these names again either but they were 23 years 15 years 16 years 24 17 and 19 so they're all pretty young um and I know members of the Dyatlov group, they were, some of them are fairly old, like in their 30s almost. So yeah, after what was forecasted to be a, a beautiful August 4th, um, this this team of, of hikers, of climbers, I don't, I don't really want to call them climbers. They're more, more hikers. They, they kind of emerged from this, this forest above the tree line, soaked to the bone from, you know, ice and rain. And, and it's now snowing when they clear the, the tree line. So Ludmilla, she she makes the call to camp on the side of the mountain instead of pushing towards the summit where there was a shelter. And after battling a night of high winds, more high winds, they wake up on the 5th to snow just covering everything. And Ludmilla, she calls off the hike and the team. They kind of pack up everything. Um, I believe they they eat breakfast. And then they start to climb down the mountain. And this is when, you know, tragedy strikes. So Sasha is first to go. So he starts bleeding from his eyes, uh, his nose, and he's foaming from his mouth. Um, and he's dead in, in minutes. Ludmilla turns to help Sasha, who apparently she saw as like a son, and orders the others to descend the mountain and get help. As she arrives to Sasha to help him, she starts um yelling in pain and when the others they turn to kind of see what's going on they see that she's also bleeding and foaming you know and and dies pretty crazy like you know you hear this and i'm just like what is going on so then <laughs> yeah. there's another one tatiana she reaches ludmilla first but she too falls victim she falls down to her knees she starts clawing at her throat you know like she's trying to breathe and ends up bashing her head off a rock until she lays down dead. Victoria and Timor see this, and they turn to run, you know, kind of like they don't even bother to help her. They, they just turn to run because obviously everyone, something's going on. Like, you don't get near these people. Something serious is going on here. So they kind of turn to run, 
but they too are stopped in their tracks and begin ripping at their clothes and throats. They also start vomiting up blood and quickly die. Uh, uh, Volia and uh, another one named Dennis, they run off down the hill, but Dennis is overcome by the same symptoms and he falls down dead. However, Volia, who is 17 years old, is able to escape and she becomes lost in the woods. Um, she will eventually fall asleep. Inside. I guess she had some gear with her because they were packing up to you know leave the mountain. So she falls asleep inside the tent that she was able to take down with her, uh, not knowing what to do, but needing supplies to survive. She kind of returns the next morning and her friends, they're all still there. She kind of collects some gear nice. and closes the eyes of all these friends, you know, all these members of this party, because they're all still open, you know. Um, and then she walks for four days following a power line until she reaches a river mm-hmm. and then follows the river downwards, you know, downstream. That's what you you kind of always know. I mean, at least I know if you follow the river down, you're going to get to some sort of civilization. I don't I don't know if everybody knows that, but it's kind of a good. um, Good thing to know if you're lost. Definitely. And then at this point, apparently she decides she she thinks she's going to die and she decides she's not going to die without washing her hair. So she goes to wash her hair uh, in the lake and is seen by two kayakers who who kind of like go by her and they're like, that's weird. What, what's going on there? And then they kind of turn around and come back and they, and they rescue her. She had to wash her hair. Yeah. Apparently (laughs) that's what she says. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing about that. This is horrible. Yeah. I mean, this one's 1993. So holy cow. So what do you think happened? Um, well, just from, hearing that they're you know grabbing at their throats unable to breathe i instantly was like oh that that's something to do with gas you know like i don't know if it's natural or or Mm. what's going on but it definitely sounds like some sort of gas attack like something you'd see in a war zone or something Mm. yeah yeah the the um didn't something happen in india or something not not many years after that where there was a lake and it had this sulfuric a gas release because of oh yeah yeah volcanic activity underneath it and but but if but if that was it wouldn't there have been dead animals all over the place yeah so i don't know i kind of looked that. into the like the geology of the surrounding area and i didn't really find much that would point towards it being natural but yeah mm. i do know what you're talking about what was that one or was that like i'm pretty yeah. sure it was india um, it might have been somewhere in Africa. It was like the um the carbon dioxide underneath the lake kind of just like you know, the bubble had burst and it just killed everybody in the town. Oh. Yeah, it that sounds terrifying. But I yeah, some of the conditions seem to make sense because weren't the people like tearing their clothes off? Yeah, some so. yeah, yep. And so that to me was like, oh, okay, maybe they got, they ascended too quickly and got altitude sick. And so they started developing pulmonary edema and then became hypothermic and hypotherm when you, when you're hypothermic, even though you're freezing, your body 
it kind of mixes up these signals and people think that they're hot. Right. So, you know, it's not unusual for people, you know, even up on Mount Everest to. What is that called? It has a certain name. I forget. Well, the hypothermia? Uh, When you start paradoxical undressing, is that what it's called? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Huh. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, because it's the last thing you'd want to do. Mm. Want to get warmed up. So like there in 2023, there was this guy who uh, had come down from the summit and he was a client, meaning he would, had been guided up and mm-hmm. he was obviously sick. And when when his Sherpa guides went back to the tent some hours later to check on him, he was gone, but his down suit was like in the tent. So he must have, which is just awful, means he was, so he, he disrobed and then went, right. Heaven knows, he went running off somewhere. Oh, like so, he, he left the tent? Yeah, he's, they never found him. He's disappeared. And this was on Everest? Yeah, just this last year. There's a few people disappeared this year. Oh, last wow. year, I should say. Yeah pretty tough stuff good some I'm, serious mystery stuff up there for people disappearing but oh yeah definitely i know um have you ever heard of missing 411 it's like a series uh, of books oh no that sounds yeah. really cool yeah so it's about m- missing people in national parks um oh. and a lot of them seem to do this take their mm. clothes off fold them up neatly Hmm. stack them up and then just disappear yeah and it seems like maybe it was because they were cold right yeah like they had gotten hypothermic damn yeah people lose you when you're really cold you start losing your mind like you're you're not making clear decisions right sing 411 that's very cool yeah i see this right here that the the strange disappearances yeah, I, I feel like it's it's kind of like right up your your alley. <laughs> yeah, totally. Fortunately, you know, I don't know anybody personally who that's happened to, but I am always aware of it. But but hypothermia is well, you know, there was a local case here just a month ago of a very experienced hiker and a guide who had done the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail twice. Wow. And he went out for a really long hike and a 32 mile hike, what's called the Pemi Loop. It's a very, it's a test piece. And he just got over his head and froze to death. This is one of the most experienced hikers you could ever even imagine. Right. He just bit off more than he could chew. I know that's not what we're really talking about, but it just goes to show you just sometimes, you know, when your number's up, it's up. But for these people, you know, that who knows? They were bleeding and their you know, autopsies at the mouth. Their autopsies had uh they all had bruising on the lungs. Oh. There's kind of a couple of theories, and you got at one of them was the yeah. uh what is it, edema? Edema. Yeah. edema. So yeah, yeah. So the, the thought is Sasha, he got altitude sickness of some kind, and then Ludmilla runs over to her to him to help her. And since 
she sees him as a son. She starts to have a heart attack, which kind of freaks everybody oh. out. They all get scared. Nobody knows what's going on. And the thought is that um they they weren't bleeding at all. She kind of, you know, the the survivor, uh Voli, I, I believe her name was, kind of made that that part up, you know. That that's the thought. Cause because when the when they got out there to the bodies, there, you know, there there wasn't any blood. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. rain could have washed this away. It took them a while to get out there, you know. I think I think it took them two weeks to get out there. Um Wow. That's suspect right but uh another interesting theory is they had because they were doing like a survival course and and lumilla you know she was she was very into foraging in that they had eaten magic mushrooms and had Mm -hmm. a super bad trip um and just kind of killed themselves (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah, th- th- I mean that makes sense. You know, I, there are a lot of stories about people eating the wrong mushroom. I mean, whether they were trying to have a magic mushroom experience or thought they were foraging for something edible and healthy, you make one mistake and you're gonzo. Right. I mean, there's only two. Uh, definitely. Now, uh, there's probably three different mushrooms that I'll pick and confidently would eat. But when I go foraging, I'll see there's a lot of different mushrooms that look kind of, you know, like it. And I apparently when if you eat the wrong mushroom, it's not a good way to go. So maybe right. there was fungus or but it it's weird because it all happened at almost at the exact same time. So maybe it was a meal like breakfast. Did did that woman forage for mushrooms? But the magic mushroom thing is even more fun. So, like, hey, let's trip, man. Let's. Well, I, I, I think I think turn your kids like, on to hallucinogens. Ate them on accident was was what they what they were more getting at. Because there there was a this this vol volia she she gives three I think three major um uh interviews and the second one she gives which is which is uh you know several weeks after everything's calmed down. She she retells mm-hmm. the story and it's kind of like us these these party members they they go into a much slower uh, mm. descent into madness where they're unable to stand you know they're hiding behind rocks and kind of like biting themselves and bashing their heads, um, mm. but but I mean she gave that after you know let let's say the government stepped in and told her what to say because she eventually goes back and says you know like no they were really bleeding from the mouth and and all this stuff. Oh, so. yeah. And apparently I, I, she's still alive. Right. So don't people yeah. occasionally reach out to her and she says, don't talk. To, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Leave me alone. I just want I don't want to have to relive this horrible experience. Right. Um, And there were two other parties on the mountain at the time and they were completely fine. And one of them was Ludmilla um, was her own daughter, who was also, you know, a survivalist. And she was taking a party up the mountain. And apparently um, she broke her silence after, you know, more than 30 years. I don't I don't know how long ago it was. It was fairly recently. She broke mm. her silence and she said she was summoned by the Russian government and bribed with a large amount of money to never question or talk about what happened to her mother again. What? So what? and apparently all the bo- the bodies, they were all buried in zinc coffins and they were never released to the families. 
Oh, so do you think they did a chemical test or some like poison gas test? Like, let's see what happens to these poor unsuspecting yeah. people will fly over and prop dust them with something. Right. right. I, I think, um, and this makes, I, I definitely think it, it's some sort of weapon, you know, gas weapon or, or something like that. And I think the consensus is because they used to actually test a lot of these, you know, poison gases in the area and that the government, oh, yeah. the military had, 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 you know, done a testing at some point recently. Mm. And then the rainfall had reactivated, you know, this, whatever it was. So apparently the symptoms don't match, you know, like a gas like VX. Um, and it's very similar to a, a Novichok, which, you know, a Novichok agent, which is a Russian weapon. Um, wow. So the thought is like the the rain, all the, the rain that they had got had reactivated this agent. And at some point, these people had touched it. And when they ate breakfast, they had ingested it. Um, wow. And they kind of just went mad from there. Freaked out. Uh, like if stuff like this happened nowadays, like there'd be video footage on somebody's cell phone. Right. Definitely. Now it, it just makes it so mysterious. And so nobody, so there's no, so those people got buried in zinc coffins. Yeah. I mean, that's what I read. That's ridiculous. Let's, I think we should do part two of this and try to track that woman down who's alive. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's still alive, and I believe Ludmilla, Ludmilla's daughter is still alive too. She 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 wasn't there, obviously, but she says the government, you know, bribe bribed her, and she took the bribe. <laughs> I mean, people are desperate. That's it's freaking classic that she took the bribe. Well, what are they going to do if you don't take the bribe? We chop your head off and bury you I... in another <laughs> zinc casket. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, we gotta go find. Let's so maybe we can get a budget and like start a Patreon page for this podcast, and we'll go there. We'll go to Russia and find them and recreate. <laughs> We'd probably end up in jail <laughs> like that reporter. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh, that is. I don't know. So, what do you like? What's your gut tell you? What do you think happened? I think they were gassed in some way somehow um mm. i guess i really think like I, I don't think the military flew over while they were up there i think it was reactivated somehow um mm. it was just like a mystery gas they, they you know the symptoms don't really match up to anything that's known you know yeah yeah they just it it was just bad timing like if they had done this trip a week right. later yeah because they said that the people who went in to look for the bodies it was much later like it was a enough time for any gases or yeah things like to move away and i guess like i said they 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 would actually test you know weapons out in this area um and it was right around this time where they stopped doing that it was after this that they stopped testing, um, you know, these chemical weapons out in this area. Uh, Which also makes me think that, you know, it was some sort of accident. Yeah. And then they just wanted to cover it up. Right. 
and uh, and to their horror that one woman survived right yeah exactly she wanted to wash her hair though (laughs) well she thought she was gonna die i mean she was lost out there for for four or five days afterwards you know she's like if i'm dying i'm washing my hair first i want to look good yeah exactly and And apparently when the the kayakers found her they went by and they're like oh that's weird right and then they're like oh maybe we should go check on her so they go back (laughs) but she doesn't say anything to them she's just kind of like stare you know staring off like she's gone mad right um so they bring her back to camp and they give her a they don't give her coffee they give her vodka which kind of wakes her up <laughs> and then she's I'm not sure why i think that is absolutely hilarious but uh yeah vodka will do it if you're russian or like that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that speaks man hey you won't talk try this I mean, and then they should have tested her and said, we have a an omelet with mushrooms in it. And if she had run, they would have known <laughs> that it was the mushroom thing. <laughs> right. Um, and apparently there there is actually video of the bodies. Um, I think if you watch it on YouTube or something, it, it's blurred out, but they do have uh, video of the bodies being, you know, discovered. Oh Obviously, yeah. Two weeks later, that. but yeah, that I know. Why did they? I mean, I mean, it's good that they blurted out, I guess. But aren't the YouTube rules that if you show something in the first thirty seconds, it gets flagged? But if it's way in the middle, most people are bored by then, and they'll they don't care. Like if you want to see dead bodies, you just wait long enough on YouTube, and you'll find it, I guess. But is that a real wow. thing? Yeah, but I'm I'm t- I no the blurred bodies that uh, yeah I th- I don't think anybody ever posted pictures of them unblurred. Oh no. Yeah, I don't know. You might be able to Google that. Is that YouTube yeah. thing real though? Like if you, yeah, if you... The, it looks like the video that I'll send you a link to this, and um, I don't know if you want to put it in the notes to your to the podcast episode, but the the pictures i saw are it looks very authentic and there are blurred photographs but if there. you post a video on youtube you can blur it out in the first 30 seconds but then you can unblur no, what, what they say is that um in youtube what what they have for rules like if if as long as your video doesn't violate kind of their terms for disturbing or shocking videos in the first 30 seconds you, you can you can post stuff so like like if you say you know start dropping f-bombs in the first like five seconds they'll flag <laughs> you and, th- and then like right like oh, the fucking, you know or if you started showing really shocking images they'll flag it and probably even shut the video down but if you said hey you know here's what the video is about we're going to talk about it today it might be disturbing for some of the viewers and then you know, five minutes in, right? Show it. YouTube will leave it up. Huh. They won't flag you. You know, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Now I'm really freaking curious. So because I want to, I would like, imagine there's a version out there that's not blurred out. There's gotta be. I mean, it's the oh, yeah. internet. I mean, think right. about what's the dark web, man. They it's said the bodies something. had been ravaged by, uh, by animals, though. So I don't, I don't. I don't think you could really get a, a clear picture of what happened that 
you know, that day. Oh yeah. Cause they, cause it had been so long that they'd been up there. So animals were eating them. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I truly think that it definitely sounds like some sort of gas attack. Yeah. Like and when I picture it, I picture a cloud yeah. that's kind of moving downwards very slowly so that there's people are running into it. And those people who go into it, they're, you know, they're being affected by it. And the ones who don't, or they're not fast enough to get away. Mm. And, and this one girl was just happened to be fast enough to get away. I don't know. That's how I picture or, it. Or either fast enough or like, you know, like some people, she might just have been the luck of the draw. Like some people don't die from certain things, you know? Right. I mean, you know, like nine out of 10 people would have died and she just was lucky you know or unlucky if she now that she has this nightmare to live with for her whole life but right terrifying yeah i mean serious have you watched that show true detective night country have you heard of this i have not but i i i think i'm going to need to unveil that and give it a look cuz we're done with the crown <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty boring but I'm fascinated with the the British monarchy. So, but maybe that would be our our next our next investigation into that. That so do you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know if you ever. I've never seen in the other True Detective show. So, this neither is, have I. This is my first one, and it, it's I think it's like the the fourth season. But technically, I guess it's not a true. De she didn't make it to be a True Detective show hbo just kind of tagged that on there um, oh yeah because they don't have yeah it's not yeah you can call it that it's not right. the original one of that but it, they don't have a copyright on that name so it has a lot you know like i said she was inspired by this dayatlov pass and this weird stuff so you know there's there's like these frozen scientists and they're trying to figure out why they all froze the death and their clothes are all they were naked. Their clothes were all stacked nice and neatly, you know. Weird. Yeah. Whoa. Some sort of weird spiral that has something to do with something. And I don't know, but. Ooh. Very fascinating. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to get your take just just yeah. because I, I feel like you've you're definitely more experienced than I am. <laughs> In any well, other... I won't be able to sleep tonight, thanks to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, but yeah, it's it's a scary story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you just never know. You never know what's going to get you, and you just hope that you know if that does happen to you, you're ninety five years old and not fifteen like some of the other people in that trip. Right. Right. Yeah. You know unsuspecting yeah i mean that was pretty much it that's all i wanted <laughs> cool it was it's fun talking to you about this stuff let's i'll keep my eyes peeled for some other other mysteries and let's let's revisit one down the road another wintry frothing at the mouth bleeding from the ears mystery <laughs> and i'll be happy to join you again all right perfect <laughs> all right, Try and dig something up yeah, I know uh, there's plenty of them. We can we can talk about there's a there's some good ones on Mount Everest and beyond. So we'll I'll throw you some ideas and maybe we can read redo this one. Has there been any 
just really quick. Has there been anything to do with the um the Mallory case at all? Probably not. This but. is the hundredth anniversary of their disappearance. And it's the 25th anniversary of the discovery of George Mallory, of his body at 27,000 feet. So a lot is going on. We, I'm going to release a video tomorrow, if I can get it finished, a, that I talked to a friend of mine who I was on Everest with in 2019, who has had several conversations with very high-ranking officials in the in the Chinese Tibetan Mountaineering Association who have told him that the body of Sandy Irvin, who was George Mallory's partner, was removed from the body many years ago, which is an interesting thing to consider because I was in 2019, we were on a million dollar National Geographic film expedition to look for his body up the mountain. Mm -hmm. And now we're, now we're thinking as as one of the guys that I spoke to recently said, we were barking up the wrong tree. Right. So now I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. And there's this mysterious personal museum in Lhasa in Tibet that supposedly has a lot of artifacts from. Oh, yeah. I think I remember you talking about the camera. So right? to, yeah. Maybe a camera, a boot, more equipment. So we got to. I've got to find a way to get somebody into China to look who speaks fluently the <laughs> language. Good luck with that. Yeah, I know. Good good luck with that one. Hey, you never know. Just put the vibes out there. Maybe we'll. Yeah. we'll, we'll I mean, make it makes a, perfect sense. It does. It Is really it, does. I believe the first time we talked, didn't you say they, for the Olympics, they removed yes. all the bodies on the north side? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, regarding that, um, we thought like, oh, that must have been when they removed Sandy Irvin's body. And the, the person in question that my friend Jamie McGinnis spoke to said, no, it was way before 2008. It's like, ooh, that's interesting. So we just got to get more detailed info. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. Right on. All right. All right, my friend. Well, let's do it again real soon. Yeah. Thanks for making the time. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It won't take me so long next time. Let's, but be in touch and I'll send you any information that you might need. Um, th some of those links that I told you about, I'll send them along for yeah. more background info. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, dude. All right. Thank you. Hey, a pleasure. Have a great night. See you soon. You bye bye bye. All right, guys. Another Tom Pollard episode. Had to do it. Had to bring him in. He's just the perfect guy. If you were, you want to talk about avalanches, uh, snowy mountains, freezing cold, winter mysteries. Pretty much anything uh, that deals with the freezing cold in mountains. Um, for me, Tom's the guy you want to get a hold of just because he's been there, done that. And and I didn't even have to get into the, the theories 
aspect of the Diatlov pass. And he's already talking about catabolic winds, slab avalanches. You know, I, I thought I was going to bring that up and surprise him. Um, but no, that's not how it happened. He he already knew about these things. And, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, the more that you think about it, you get away from the ancient aliens aspect of Diatlov Pass and you start thinking more down to earth. Um, this this slab avalanche, the fact that they had to dig out somewhere to put their tent um, so they're already below the snow line and, and that wind is just pushing the snow above them, down on them. Makes perfect sense. So, so yeah, Diatlov Pass and, 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 I don't even know, you know, really where to start with the with the with the the, the Kama Debon mountain range mystery incident, whatever you want to call it. However, I do personally believe instantly when I first heard the story, I was like, yep, gas attack. It's what it's got to be. I mean, you're talking bruised lungs, bleeding, foaming, bleeding from eyes, mouth, nose, vomiting up blood, ripping at your throats, your clothes. You know, you are definitely... Your body is definitely being attacked by something that is uh, not even slowly suffocating you. That is suffocating you and suffocating you violently. So the fact is, we'll never know. These are mysteries, and they're mysteries for a reason. Um, but yeah, the Atlov Pass, probably an avalanche. Kama Deban mountain range incident, most likely a reactivated chemical agent. And those definitely sound almost canon to me.